Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. And now, the Sports Buzz with your host, Kevin Wolf, with Andy Loigu. Is anybody alive out there? Is anybody alive out there? Is anybody alive out there? And welcome to this Friday, January 20th edition of the Sports Buzz as we are back for another broadcast coming your way live and local from the great state of New Jersey. Yours truly, Kevin Wolf with my broadcast partner, Andy Loigu, as we get ready for NFL playoff football and we get ready for the divisional round that kicks off tomorrow at 4.30 in the afternoon with Doug Peterson's young Jacksonville Jaguars led by Trevor Lawrence at quarterback going into Arrowhead Stadium and taking on a Kansas City Chiefs team that will be primed, that will be well-rested, and that will be raring to go with Patrick Mahomes and head coach Andy Reid. And then a divisional battle, to say the least, tomorrow night as the Cinderella underdog storyline of this NFL postseason thus far has been the leadership of Brian Dable and the New York football giants as they will take their talents to Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia to take on the high and mighty high-flying Philadelphia Eagles as they come off a week of rest the number one seed with Jalen Hurts hopefully back healthy and an Eagles team Team Prime to make a deep run to the Super Bowl and then a big game Sunday at 3 o'clock with the Cincinnati Bengals traveling up to Orchard Park to take on a Bills team that played somewhat sloppy in the game last week but was able to survive and win and move on and they will have DeMar Hamlin number 3 rooting them on to try and get them to an AFC championship game and then Sunday night the Mar- key game of the week as Dak Prescott will take the high-octane Cowboy offense to Santa Clara, California and take on a San Francisco 49ers team that has been the end-all and be-all in the NFL for a big part of this season. And can Dan Quinn and the Cowboys defense finally find a crack in that 49er offensive line and cause some trouble for Brock Purdy and send the 49ers packing earlier than expected. We're here to dissect and analyze all that. And before we get into the meat, of what we want to talk about this evening, I have to welcome in my broadcast partner, Andy Loigu, who is very, very, very concerned about the New York football giants. And the last team, I'm sure, Andy, that you wanted to face with a little momentum right now is the football giants for divisional round in the NFL playoffs. Actually, you have to respect anybody who's gotten this far into the playoffs. Uh, 
you know, there's uh, no no weak sisters out there anymore. Uh, teams have earned their way, so you know, certainly you don't underestimate anybody. Uh, Dallas or San Francisco would be just as much of a challenge. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just take them one step at a time. And uh, this game uh, is a game in which the Giants do come into it with some momentum and some uh, belief in themselves. So uh, got to take them seriously. And listen, Andy, the game they played against the Minnesota Vikings last week was really a remarkable game for Daniel Jones. It was a great game for the offense, and it was a great game all around because you didn't only see the defense go out there and battle and play tough and force some turnovers and rattle Kirk Cousins and shut down the key receiving core of the Minnesota Vikings. They went out there, they ran the ball, they did something we haven't seen them do, and they made some big plays downfield, and they had many catalysts in this game that went out there and got the job done. And a lot of people felt good about the New York Giants last week. A lot of people felt like the Vikings were the right matchup for them at the right time. And now they come into this game tomorrow night, and they have a little bit of mojo they have a little bit of swagger in their step as they are a hot team right now and it's all due to the leadership role that brian dables had with this team and to the big playability and the great offense that daniel jones has taken as quarterback to the football field week in and week out and the biggest thing with the eagles now is the overall health of jalen hurts is he a hundred percent healthy is the rest factor going to affect this team a little bit? The last few weeks, they've played down to their competition a little bit, the Philadelphia Eagles. I get not much was on the line outside of home field, but the last few weeks, the Eagles weren't as primed as they were through the early stages and middle stages of this past season. And what told me that the Eagles could be a little bit timid of the New York Giants tomorrow night is when Jalen Hurts had a press conference earlier this week and he was worried about the Giants attacking him defensively and going after the sore throwing arm that was injured coming into this game. Yes, uh, an interesting thing about this game, uh, historically, you know, Hertz and Daniel Jones, they both run for over 700 yards uh, this year. This is the first playoff matchup ever in in either league or uh, going, going all the way back where you have uh, the two starting quarterbacks with a combined 1,400-plus uh, uh, rushing yards. Now, of course, uh, you know, Daniel Jones has grown into that kind of a role because uh, defenses have to pay so much uh, you know, attention to Saquon Barkley. Uh, now, Hurts, uh, the big question with the Eagles is uh, how much is he going to be able to run the ball because, you know, he doesn't want to take too many hits on that shoulder. Uh, he seems to have been throwing it okay in practice, but, you know, again, in practice he didn't want to overdo it either with the throwing. But at least uh, as far as throwing, I think uh, the week by that the Eagles earned uh, gave them an opportunity to rest that shoulder a little bit. But if the Eagles have to try to make some uh, wrinkles into their offense at this stage of the game and not have Hurts run so much, uh, you know, that could could impact their game a little bit, you know, because uh, other than Hurts running the ball – 
what's the Eagles' big weapon on offense? It's their wide receivers and Hurts' connection with them. So, uh, yeah, if, uh, if Hurts uh, has to just sit back and throw and the Giants know he's going to throw, they'll be bringing that pass rush, you know, pinning in your ears back and coming after him. And uh, the game could be a problem for the Eagles. Absolutely, Andy. And listen, we know the Eagles have a superior roster. We know they have a ton of veterans on this team. They have the big play ability. That's where they're lethal with their big play ability, whether that's on the ground or throwing the football deep. It's been a breakout year for Jalen Hurts. He's really been the big focal point and catalyst for the offense. But you know what? The New York Giants don't have the same amount of experience but what they do have is they have a young team that's bought into a winning culture that's bought into a system that has worked well that Brian Dable has instilled and that Mike Kafka has formed with his offensive schemes for the offense week in and week out and they have a defense right now led by one of the best coordinators in the league in Wink Martindale that is very aggressive that is very Scrappy that, as we've said, and you just stated, is blitz-heavy all the time, and they tend to cause some friction with the opposing quarterback and the opposing offensive line, and the Giants' defense right now is lethal. This could be what could be the main focal point of this game. I think this game is going to be close. I think it's going to go right down to the wire, and I possibly think Gano is going to be the guy to kick the Giants into an NFC championship when all is said and done. Anybody who comes into this game thinking it's going to be a blowout needs their heads examined if they haven't watched this Giant team over the last several weeks. This is going to be a tight, close-to-the-vest football game. The Giants are playing with house money, and they're all in it this week. I'm looking for a low-scoring game. Uh, the Eagles' defense is formidable. <laughs> you know, they, they may be the keys uh, for the Eagles. If the, the Eagles can just uh, stay away from turnovers and uh, let the defense uh, do its job, you know, the Eagles will uh, stay in the game and, and have a shot. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, too, about this game. The Giants haven't had a... Uh, a return for a TD since 2015, and wouldn't it be funny if this was the uh, this was the day to do, that they do it? <laughs> it would be funny, Andy. But you know what? They've done a lot of unexpected thus far this season. So why not wrinkle that in and hope that it happens tomorrow night? And the other compelling storyline is is that these two teams are arch rivals, and you know that if the Eagles don't have a lead at halftime or have to fight back in this game that that fan base is going to be very impatient at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia and they are not going to tolerate a tough struggle for the Philadelphia Eagles. So that atmosphere tomorrow night is going to be very compelling in that stadium in this football game if the Eagles somehow don't have a lead and have to fight back. What are the fans going to do and how are they going to act? Well, let's hope the good fans outnumber the bad fans <laughs> and keep cheering them on, because uh, the Eagles have certainly had uh, one of their one of their most outstanding seasons in terms of wins. You know, 14 wins is a franchise record for them. So uh, let's hope the fans have a little bit of patience if they're slow out of the gate. <laughs> and listen, Andy, I think the key 
to success for the New York football Giants is going to be what they've done thus far this season. The ground and pound attack with Saquon Barkley, the agility with the legs of Daniel Jones, the short pocket slant pattern passes when they have to make it for short yardage situation to get the first down and if they find some big playability out of Hodgkins or Kenny Galladay why not go downfield if you know your receiver is going to be opened but I think the main success for the Giants is going to be keeping that Eagles offense off the football field, moving the chains, working the clock in your favor, and trying to get an early lead in this game. You want to play from up, from in front throughout to beat the Eagles. And if the Giants can come out here and get a fast start tomorrow, I think they'll have a very good opportunity at winning this game. And if the defense somehow doesn't hold up, and allows Jalen Hurts to do what he does best, make big plays, scramble out of the pocket, run for yardage, and then throw the ball and find his open receivers, it's going to be a long night for the New York Giants. It's really going to be about the Giants' defense taming the Eagles' offense. Uh, From the Eagles' side, you know, it's going to be up to their uh, defensive line and linebackers to contain uh, Barkley. That's like uh, the first thing because the Giants uh, get their mojo when Barkley's uh, got it going. So there's there's a matchup to look for right there, how the Eagles uh, linebackers in line uh, handle the Giants. Because you know the Giants are going to come out establishing the run. So uh, that'll be an early key as to how that game will go. That's where their success has been. It's been on the ground, and it's been with Barkley and Jones uh, moving the chains and running the football and keeping the ball in the hands of those key guys to get them yardage situations and key first downs to put points on the board. So it's going to be a compelling matchup, Andy. It's going to be a fascinating game, and I think, and I've studied this matchup all week, And for some reason, I have a field goal type of game here. 27-24, I sense this game with a last-second field goal by the New York Giants to win it by three. All right. If there was one weakness, Andy, with the Eagles that worry you in this game from an Eagles perspective, because you're a huge, avid Eagles fan, what would it be tomorrow? Well, it just starts not being 100%. Otherwise, I have uh, a lot of confidence in their roster. They've got uh, they've got a very talented roster that's also been coached well this year. And, and they've actually better than I expected uh, when the season uh, began in that uh, they've been able to beat the good teams. Last year, that, that's what they were not able to do. They feasted on bad teams but didn't beat the good teams. This year, they've been pretty much beating everybody. Uh, so uh, the Eagles have also had a great season of their own, and they have uh, no reason to go into this game lacking any confidence. But uh, it may just have to be a more of a ground-and-pound game than they would play if, if uh, Hertz was uh, throwing the ball all over the field. And <laughs> but for the-, the Eagles do have some good running backs of their own, and they've had some, uh, some big running games this year when circumstances have allowed. And for everybody listening on Clubhouse, that'll be the 8.15 p.m. game tomorrow night on Fox from Lincoln Financial Field 
in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. And then the first game to kick off the divisional round of the NFL postseason will be the high and mighty up-and-coming Jacksonville Jaguars as they played a fantastic second half last Saturday night and rallied from 21 points down at halftime to come back and win on a last-second field goal against the LA Chargers and it's another doom and gloom quick postseason exit for Brandon Staley and quick postseason exit for Josh Herbert and company with the LA Chargers and listen Andy the one thing you look at with this Jacksonville Jaguars team they're very young Travis Etienne has been the catalyst with the ground game. Lawrence has found his step at quarterback, and Christian Kirk has had some huge plays and made some great catches throughout the latter part of this season to get the Jags in the postseason, and then stood up when he had to in the second half last week to get the Jags to the divisional round, and they take on a team that's has that been there, done that attitude in the Kansas City Chiefs team, a team with a ton of weapons, a team that is well-coached, and a team that finds all types of different ways to win games, whether it's wildcat formations. The Kansas City Chiefs are an extremely tough team to go out there and beat, and it's going to be a very tough task for Andy Reid's disciple, Doug Peterson to go in there and try and knock him out in the divisional round tomorrow, led by young quarterback Trevor Lawrence and a great head coach in Doug Peterson, who's really got a bright future here with this young Jacksonville Jaguar team. Yeah, Jacksonville, it's up, it's up to their defense. Uh, uh, Trayvon Walker uh, in the middle there, and uh, he's got to lead uh, lead the way. They can't fall behind uh, Kansas City the way they fell behind last week because they're not coming back if they fall behind Kansas City by that big a margin. Uh, they, they've got to stay in the game right from the beginning and uh, play mistake-free football. Uh, last week they got away with making some mistakes in the first half and then they came charging back. But uh, I don't see that happening if they fall behind the Chiefs. So they've just got to be uh, on top of their game right from the start. They've got to stay in the game in order to win it. There ain't no big comeback coming this week if, if they fall in that situation. No, and they have a ton to defend there. Kelsey, Valdez Scandling, Smith Schuster, the great ground and pound attack with Jones and, <laughs> yeah. Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah, there's a ton to defend there for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And listen, you know that if Smith Schuster and Valdez Scandling aren't getting uh, key catches when they have to or aren't making big plays when they have to, there's always Travis Kelsey. And every time the Chiefs need a big play, they always seem to go to Kelsey and he always seems to be open with that big play to get the yardage situations needed to either get the Chiefs back in a game, a big lead in a game, and on the scoreboard. So there are so many weapons there for Patrick Mahomes to go to on a weekly basis that the Jag 
Jags are going to have to be a fine-tuned machine defensively to have a shot at winning this game. And listen, the Chiefs come in here as a a 9.5-point favorite. Vegas seems to think it's going to be a blowout type of game. Out of all four games this weekend, I think this one may be the most predictable from a win factor. As great of a storyline as the Jacksonville Jaguars are, and all of the success with Lawrence and Peterson, the head coach-quarterback duo there, I think they're just going to fall a little short, Andy, of reaching an AFC championship game. I will be shocked if the Jacksonville Jaguars go into Getcha Stadium tomorrow afternoon and knock off the Chiefs. That will be shocking. Kelsey's a big key. He's about as good a tight end as there is in football. I think him and uh, Mark Andrews at Baltimore. And what makes both those guys good is because uh, they work well with a quarterback who can scramble and throw on the run. They always uh, seem when, uh, uh, you know, in Kansas City needs to improvise a play. Uh, the tight end seems to always be just where Patrick Mahomes can, can hit him with a with a pass. Uh, a lot of times it's not the route that they planned in the huddle, but, uh, yeah, they've, they've been able to improvise when they've had to, and uh, that's a big key to that Kansas City team. Even if you get Mahomes out of the pocket and run it for his life, they, they come up with a big place. And uh, yeah, how do you stop that? You know, how do you draw that up on the boards? You know, no, they're going to be very tough to defend, and that'll be an interesting watch tomorrow afternoon at four thirty from Kansas City. That'll be the NBC game to start off the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and then we're so fortunate. To have two games tomorrow, we get two more on Sunday, Andy, and it all begins at 3 o'clock as the Cincinnati Bengals, who we said last week were hosed by not playing that week. 17 game in Cincinnati where they had a chance to go out there and beat Buffalo. Yeah, I believe they would have won that game. And if they yeah, would have... Very unfortunate circumstances because you're talking about a human life, but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure Cincinnati would have won that game. They would have been that much better off in the uh, seedings. And uh, I think uh, since as much as I've liked Buffalo all season, uh, Buffalo, like you mentioned in your Open too, they've been shaky the last few weeks. Uh, I don't know. They've, they've won in spite of themselves. Uh, and uh, I don't see uh, if they don't clean it up against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a hot team that's rolling with a generational quarterback there. And, uh, you know, uh, the history of guys named Joe winning Super Bowls in the NFL. <laughs> uh, you know, since Cincinnati's uh, a threat, really. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't see Buffalo beating them here. Well, you Even know, listen, Buffalo. the Bills were a surprise last week. They were very shaky. They were turnover prone. You got to give the Dolphins credit. I understand Skylar Thompson missed a lot of throws. I get he was a third-string quarterback. But the way the Miami Dolphins hung in there, played close to the vest football, stayed in this game till the fourth quarter, was really amazing. And to have a chance to win this game and have a chance to make some history with Skylar Thompson as a third-string quarterback and to do it on the road in Orchard Park the way they did, made for a compelling watch. It was a long, drawn-out game. There were some 
clock managements and a ton of false start penalties and delay of game penalties in the game. It was drawn out to say the least, but you know what? The Bills barely hung on in this football game, and they have to have fixed up a lot this week to be readily prepared for the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday because the Bengals are a tough team. We know threat that Burrow can be. the Super Bowl uh, just yep. last year. I mean, these are guys who know what it takes. Yep. And they've got that motivation going all the way this time. And the key is, will the Bengals' offensive line hold up in this game? And will the Bills be able to get a few key turnovers defensively that really give them some momentum to get them a lead in this game and hopefully win. We know that the Mar Hamlin storyline, we know that there's a sense of in it to win it for DeMar mentality and that the Bills may just have this magical year because they're doing it for number three who was in cardiac arrest in week 17 and went to the hospital and praise the Lord he is fine and recouping and getting back to some sense of normalcy but if I'm a Buffalo Bills fan I'm very very concerned about this matchup this Sunday Andy and I think that this is the team right now that the Bills wouldn't want to face in the postseason I don't know how well the Bills would do against any of these teams who are still playing because uh there's something off kilter with the Bills. There and is, and the offense at this level of the playoffs. You you got to have uh, everything clicking. Yeah, they couldn't run the football last week. The offense was sporadic. Allen wasn't finding some targets. Some of his throws to digs and stuff were way off kilter. There was just something emotionally wrong with the Bills and you have to wonder if maybe the DeMar Hamlin situation is affecting them a little bit in these games. Maybe there's a pressure sense there that they feel they need to go out and and perform and overachieve a little bit for DeMar Hamlin to win for him. So maybe there's that DeMar Hamlin theory that could be affecting them a little bit, but they need to be mistake-free, they need to avoid the turnover, and they need to play 60 minutes of sound football this Sunday to have a shot to beat the Bengals. Otherwise, they'll be packing up their lockers and the Bengals will travel to Kansas City to try and beat the Chiefs for the second consecutive year in a row and head back to a Super Bowl in Glendale. Arizona. You know, it's funny. Buffalo reminds me of a coach who was coaching the uh, Atlanta Falcons about 40 years ago, and uh, they had some problems uh, with uh, executing their offense. And some reporter asked him. He said, uh, asked him about his team's execution, and he said, "I'm all for it." <laughs> Andy, any final thoughts on this uh, Cincinnati Buffalo game? I'm thinking it's uh, Cincinnati's game. Uh, you know, I, I, my heart's with Buffalo. I'd love to be wrong about this one, but you know, you, you gotta pick games. Uh, you can't let your heart decide how you're going to be picking games. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see Buffalo winning that game the way these teams look coming into it. It should be an interesting one to kick off Sunday, 3 o'clock p.m. on CBS as we'll have to deal with another three hours of Tony Romo not shutting up behind the microphone and Jim Nance trying to get us through a broadcast. And by the way, Andy, listen, I get Tony Romo has a job to do as color commentator, but can the guy let the game breathe a little bit? I mean, 
he was so all over the place in the Dolphin Bill broadcast last Sunday. Half the time, I didn't want to even listen to the sound. I had to mute the TV because he was just annoying the heck out of me. Well, you know, it's funny with uh, with broadcasting. You know, sometimes I've often found, uh, not only with Eagles games for years, I've always loved Merrill Reese broadcasting the Eagles games with Mike Quick, and I usually listen to them with the sound turned down unless the, the network TV, sometimes they do have somebody who you like doing the broadcast. But uh, also these Westwood One games, often I'll listen to them and just turn the sound down because, uh, uh, you yeah, know, sometimes people – Overanalyze and just overtalk, and, uh, and besides TV, you know, in on radio you have to describe everything because it's not visual. But on TV, yeah, you sometimes uh, the fans can see what's happening, and they just expect you to have some pertinent commentary. But uh, the constant chatter can be uh, pretty annoying. And then to round out the weekend and end the divisional round of the playoffs, a huge win on Monday night by the Dallas Cowboys in a perfect game for 60 minutes. They weren't only perfect offensively. Their defense was stifling. They competed hard for 60 minutes, and they got a huge win on the road Outside of Maher missing four extra points and worrying the special teams coach, John Fossil, like you wouldn't believe, the Cowboys did everything right. Well, you know, it looked like uh, even though the Buccaneers had Tom Brady, they looked like a team that just didn't belong there. Uh, You know, I've never been one to go overboard and give Dallas credit for anything, but yeah, one thing I'm glad about in this round is that there's no Monday night game this week because uh, uh, I'm not a person who usually feels any sympathy for Dallas, but here they played on Monday night on the road, and San Francisco played on Saturday. San Francisco is going into this week's game with uh, two more days to prepare. And, uh, you know, that's not fair. <laughs> no, it's not. And listen, the one thing I have to say, Andy, quickly about the Buccaneers before we move on to this week's matchup with the Cowboys and 49ers is Todd Bowles didn't seem like the right fit to lead this team as head coach. Brady was just totally off all season long. He may return to pro football next year. He is not going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Bruce Arians, I get he wanted to hand the baton off to Todd Bowles. I, to this day, think that was more about Brady coming back and Arians not wanting to coach Brady. And listen... Brady more than likely will come back. He's eager to win another championship. He wants to prove he can win again and maybe do it in the AFC, possibly with the Raiders, possibly with the Dolphins. He's not coming to New York. He's not going to be a Jet. He is not going to deal with the media, and he is not going to want to play in the big city. He doesn't want to be in the limelight anymore. He wants to go and play for a, a team that isn't, media-driven, that he could stamp his name on and try to get him a Super Bowl. And I think he'd be perfect for McDaniels in Vegas and will fit his system nicely, or he'd be perfect with the Miami Dolphins, a team who is on the rise with a young head coach in Mike McDaniels who has some weapons there but has to hope that 
Tua could be the future, and if you don't have Tua, could you possibly go out there and go after Brady? And now getting back to this... Miami may be closer to a Super Bowl. I'm sure Brady's not going to want to go out there for a team that doesn't have a shot at getting to the Super Bowl. (laughs) You make a point there, Andy. And listen... The Dallas Cowboys had a ton of pressure on them coming into this wild card round against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The future of Mike McCarthy was in jeopardy with Sean Payton lurking there in his house in Dallas trying to figure out what his next move is going to be. We know the Parcells, Payton, Jerry Jones uh, tree there, how they all like one another. And Jerry Jones has always had an aspiration to bring Sean Payton on as head coach. So... Finally, Mike McCarthy was able to prove that he was hired to get this team some big wins, and they got a big win against the Buccaneers, and now they have a daunting task against one of the best play callers in the NFL in Kyle Shanahan and against a third-string quarterback in Brock Purdy, Andy, who you would have to wonder, is he ever going to have trouble? Is he ever going to face some problems with this 49ers offense, or is he just going to steamroll right to a Super Bowl right now and if any defense could cause some friction with this 49ers offense it could be Dan Quinn and the Dallas Cowboys defense led by Micah Parsons and all of the strong vulnerabilities and threats they pose for a young quarterback like Brock Purdy and for an offensive team like the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Kittle just key guys that you can't defend week in and week out. Well, you know the 49ers. They they remind me of the old phrase uh, that people are more people who are more sensitive to the line play and that the impact that has on a game. Uh, you probably heard it too when they say uh, the quarterback gets too much credit when the team wins, too much blame when the team loses. Purdy's a good example of a quarterback who certainly had very little in the way of experience or pedigree or you know he was wasn't he like the last player picked in the, the whole draft yes. or, and uh, but yet he's in a situation where he's surrounded by good people everybody does their job and uh, and Purdy's just been in that ideal situation where a quarterback with any kind of competency and any kind of mental stability is going to succeed and uh, they're, they're, he's like in a perfect spot there you know He is, Andy, and listen, they got a ton of talent, the San Francisco 49ers, but I think Dallas is a great matchup for them because I think Dallas can go out there and beat them. And really, it's going to be about the Dallas defense trying to tame and shut down this 49er offense. And if the defense, if Micah Parsons can apply the pressure, if the defense can rattle the offense and force a few turnovers and take Purdy out of his game of throwing the deep ball, then I think Dallas could have a good shot at winning this game. And don't forget, Dallas has always been a big offensive team that has prided themselves on the run. They didn't run the ball a lot last week with Pollard and Elliott. They threw the ball a lot, and Prescott was unconscious offensively for that atrocious Buccaneers defense to solve. And if he continues that momentum this week, I think the 49ers defense could be the weakness here that could lose them this football game late against a Dallas offense that looked like a fine-tuned machine against Tampa Bay. 
Well, the pass was there for Dallas. Uh, they're going to need to uh, run Zeke more often this week because the 49ers, uh, they're not the Minnesota Vikings when it comes to covering the pass. You know, the, the 49ers have, uh, at times it looks like an impenetrable defense. Uh, the Cowboys are going to have to use all their weapons. Uh, you know, the pass worked for them last week. And uh, so uh, it, you keep going with what works. But against the 49ers, they're going to have to be more balanced. And don't uh, you forget, can't beat the 49ers any other way. The Cowboys don't only blitz; they throw a lot of four-three at you. They do some dime when they have to. Their defensive packaging and scheming each week is fascinating to watch because Dan Quinn is not one of these predictable defensive coordinators where you know what he's going to throw at you each play. Sometimes you could be on the other side of the television set as a fan and sort of have an idea of what the defense is going to come at you at the opposing offense with, Dan Quinn is hard to read in that facet, and that makes this game even all that more fascinating from a defensive perspective. And that's why I think the Cowboys' defense is probably going to have to outduel the 49er offense to win this football game on Sunday. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game too, Andy. This could be a 34-27, a 33-24 type of football game. Yeah, I can uh, I can see that. But uh, you know, the, these are a couple of good defenses, so it would not shock me if it's a low-scoring game either because if these defenses are, are doing what they can do, uh, they'll they'll neutralize both offenses considerably. This this may not be as high scoring a game as people expect. Uh, I see Cincinnati Buffalo being a high scoring game, but uh, this one could go either way. Uh, San Francisco is funny. So a team can stay in the game with San Francisco, and then all of a sudden, boom! They run off three, four straight touchdowns. It becomes a blowout. Uh, you know, it, it's it, San Francisco is a tough team to play. I'm worried about if the Eagles uh, get to play San Francisco. I'm I'm not going to have a lot of confidence going into that game. San Francisco, in a lot of ways, looks like uh, them and uh, the Chiefs are kind of like the uh, imposing teams, and it's up to the other teams to step up to that level. But as a huge sports junkie, Andy, don't you feel that Purdy's due for a bad game? Don't you think that that could come back a little bit and and hurt the 49ers from an inexperienced perspective? Listen, I get that they beat Seattle, but Seattle played them very tough in the first half of that football game last Saturday. And if it wasn't for some dumb, stupid penalties and some bad decisions in that third quarter in that game, the Seahawks would have had a chance to stave off the 49ers and play in the divisional round. Instead, the 49ers won because they dominated offensively in the second half and the Seahawks' defense had no answers. But a rookie quarterback in this spot, I feel there could be some pressure here Sunday night that could really disrupt Purdy and his game. Well, it's up to the defense to put some heat on him because, uh, you know, he's like he's got McCaffrey. He's got the, the line blocking for him. He's... He's had so many things going for him. Uh, he's just been in a perfect situation. Uh, if the defense uh, does not <laughs> excel the way that it has been, yeah, Purdy could have a rough time. Anybody would. Uh, you know, the defense uh, the defense plays such a role in playoff games. Uh, it often swings the balance. Uh, Purdy's just been in that kind of a perfect situation, and it's up to Dallas to put some heat on him.
they're going to have to put heat on McCaffrey too because he's one of the toughest physical backs right now in the league, and he is extremely tough to stop. So really it's going to be about the Dallas defense taming Purdy and trying to stop Christian McCaffrey from big yardage gains on the ground, and that's going to be their instant success to trying to beat a 49ers team that is favored big time to maybe get to Arizona yeah, and play the Super Bowl. kind of similar to the Giants in that, you know, they have a, a running back who uh, can really break the game open, and a quarterback who just just takes what uh, the defense gives them, given that uh, you got this running back who the defense must stop, and it gives the quarterback opportunities to do things that he, other, that he otherwise on another team may not have a chance to do. So must-watch playoff football this weekend, appointment television, to say the least, and it all begins at 4.30 tomorrow afternoon with the Kansas City Chiefs playing host to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it ends with the final marquee game Sunday night as the Dallas Cowboys will take their talents to Santa Clara, California and take on the heavenly favored San Francisco 49ers. Any final thoughts, Sandy, on these NFL playoff games before we shift gears on tonight's broadcast? Well, final thoughts would just be uh, it's going to be the defenses that uh, really determine how these games go. Uh, If the defenses play up to their ability, we could have low-scoring games. Yes, we can, and it is going to be fun to watch. Go Big Blue as I root heavy for the New York football giants to pull off another upset this week in the city of brotherly love. You're listening to the Sports Buzz with Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto as we chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports on the World Wide Web as we bring this program live to Clubhouse Weekly and we make it available for your audio craving and podcast playback through Apple Spotify, and Google, and wherever you go for your daily podcast episode, sportsbuzzshow1 at gmail.com, sportsbuzzshow1 at gmail.com. That's where you can reach out with any thoughts about this podcast or any questions you have about what's happening in the world of sports. And we'll take a quick look at the scoreboard as we have some local NBA basketball action tonight as the New York Knicks trail by one, 102 to 101, as they're at the end of the third quarter as they take on the Atlanta Hawks on the road. Later on, you'll have the Lakers at home against the Memphis Grizzlies as the Lakers are 15 games under 500. So LeBron James hasn't gotten a great head coach in Darvin Ham, and the Lakers have not excelled in the Western Conference thus far this season. And the Brooklyn Nets are currently playing a late game tonight against the Utah Jazz as they're out to an early 14-5 lead 
in the first quarter. We'll give you some hockey scores later on. We'll talk some NCAA hoops, and we'll even bring some baseball into the fold here as we come to you live from the great state of New Jersey. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu present to you the Sports Buzz. We'll be back right after this. The life of every child is precious. If you care for a child or teenager with a disability and have limited income and resources, they may qualify for monthly cash payments through the Supplemental Security Income Program, or SSI. Call Social Security at 1-800-772-1213 or visit ssa.gov slash ssikids to learn more. That's ssa.gov slash ssikids. Message produced by Social Security at U.S. taxpayer expense. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at OIG. .ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu coming to you live from the great state of New Jersey here on this Friday, January 20th, the year 2023, as we have a lot to talk about in the course of this broadcast. And before we took our break, we were talking about NBA basketball as the Knicks find themselves in a tough fight with the Atlanta Hawks as it's 9.24 to go in the fourth quarter and they trail the Hawks 110 to 104 and the other night Andy the Knicks did not have a great game as the Washington Wizards went out there and beat them 116 to 105 in a game that was a head scratcher where the Wizards put up 35 points in the first quarter 32 points in the third quarter and seemed to dominate throughout yeah it didn't see much uh, defense on the part of the Knicks uh, and uh, our old friend uh Kristaps Porzingis was out there. Uh, he was he was making an impact for the Wizards there, and uh, you know it wasn't wasn't one of the Knicks' best nights. But uh, you know that's the thing when you talk about defense and you talk about Knicks, uh, it, it brings us to 50 years back. You know, it's kind of I like to look back at 50 years ago because there are some. You know, last week we talked about the Miami Dolphins going uh, 17 and 0. Uh, nobody's done that since. And 50 years ago, the Knicks uh, won the NBA championship. It was actually for the second time in uh, three years. Well, they won it in 70, Milwaukee in 71, the Lakers in 72, then the Knicks. Uh, so the Knicks did it two out of four years. But they haven't uh, won the NBA finals ever since. And uh, that, that Knicks team was very interesting. Uh, People certainly remember the 1970 Knicks team that won 60 games and uh, are heralded as one of the ultimate examples of great team play 
uh, in the history of basketball, and they pretty much still had that same team. It was a little bit older, uh, but they still had Walt Frazier, they had Willis Reed, they had Bill Bradley, they had Dave DeBusher. But one thing that was different with the Knicks was they made a trade with the Baltimore Bullets. That's the franchise that's the Washington Wizards now. Um, they made a trade of the Baltimore Bullets and got Earl Monroe, who was a big star in those days, and he was the high-scoring uh, player on the Baltimore Bullets team that went to the finals just two, uh, two years before. And people worried about how two all-stars like Earl Monroe and and Walt Frazier play together. Um, and a lot of people wondered why the Knicks made that trade. Well, for one thing, you know, uh, uh, Monroe had uh, high salary demands that Baltimore didn't want to match, <laughs> which is kind of like what Baltimore's football team is facing right now with, with uh, Lamar Jackson. But uh, there's a lot of question about how uh, Monroe and Frazier play together. Well, actually, Monroe accepted like a point guard role in which he did not score as much, but he uh, passed the ball around, and he had magical moves, and he created a lot of stuff uh, for his teammates. And Walt Frazier kind of welcomed not having the pressure of, to, uh, of uh, not having to do as much uh, with the Knicks uh, in his position as a guard either. It turned out to be... Uh, very complimentary players who uh, cared more about winning than about their own personal stats. And the Knicks were underdogs when they're facing the defending champion Lakers in the finals. Uh, the Lakers had big names. I mean, future Hall of Famers like uh, Jerry West and uh, Will Chamberlain. And don't forget, too, Andy, they finished that season 69-70 with a 60-22 and record first in the NBA Eastern Division, and they were coached by Red Holtzman, who we talk about to this day as being a premier a coach, coach in the NBA back then. Yeah, he really taught the team play, and uh, they also had guys who were great open shooters. Bill Bradley was one of the best, you know, if you ran a pattern and got him the ball, you know, and you gave him an open shot, and, you know, you just heard Marv Albert all the time, yes, Bradley yeah. from the corner, yes. You had, you had Kazzy Russell from Michigan. Yeah. He was a great sharpshooter. Yeah, he was on the 70 Knicks, was no longer there in 73. But, uh, you know, you had some uh, great shooting and great passing and great defense. That 70 Knicks team was uh, about as good a defensive team as you'd ever see in the NBA. And in that 72-73 season, they finished at 57-25, and 25, second in the NBA athletic yeah, division Boston, back then. Yeah. yeah, Boston Celtics had a great regular season in 73, and the Knicks were getting a little bit older, but they, they pulled it together uh, for one more playoff year, and, uh, and uh, they, they got it done. And uh, especially that Lakers team that they beat uh, – you know, that the Knicks did it in five games was uh, quite remarkable. That was uh, a team that's gone down in history. And, you know, Frazier is still there doing the uh, broadcasts. And Frazier is fun to listen to. I mean, he just naturally talks in rhymes, <laughs> you know, rebounding and astounding and swishing and dishing. And he just goes on like that all night long, and he keeps coming up with new stuff. He's just a really talented 
Well, he is in the Hall of Fame as both a player and a broadcaster, so that's pretty cool on uh, Clyde's part. Yeah, uh, we used to think of Mike Bibby with the Sacramento Kings. His father, Henry Bibby, played for that team uh, in 72-73 for the New York Knicks, and he was very good. And then Henry Bibby later, a few years later, was a starter with the Sixers, and he played alongside Dr. J and Daryl Dawkins and some colorful characters uh, the Sixers had a few years later. And Bibby fit real well in that. He was in the backcourt with Doug Collins. There's another name from the past. But uh, the 73 Knicks, uh, I guess since it was their second time in four years, maybe people didn't didn't dawn on anybody that would be another 50 years until – or, well, hopefully until they, they win one one of these years. But it, it just shows how hard it is to go all the way. Um, you know, teams sometimes, uh, the Knicks had plenty of good teams over the years with Patrick Ewing, and they went to the finals a few times, but never never took it all the way. You know, there's those years that Michael Jordan and the Bulls were in their way or, or other teams that were in their way, so... You know, cherish every time your team wins a championship because you never know how long it's going to be again. And you know, something else was interesting in uh, the winter of 73, uh, Rutgers. Uh, I remember I attended this press conference as a member of the media. Rutgers announced to the world that we are going big time in sports. And uh, everything Rutgers has been doing since then, has it started that night. Uh, at Rutgers back in 1973 when they made a commitment to start playing big time. And uh, they weren't in a big conference yet, but they started scheduling Penn State. They scheduled Tennessee and Alabama. And they got every tough team they could on that schedule to challenge the players. And and, uh, it eventually improved their recruitment because they were playing more challenging schedules and were more committed to being big time. And uh, we've seen what, in basketball, you know, Rutgers had a very quick return because uh, just three years after announcing that they're going big time, they went to the Final Four and haven't been back to the Final Four since. But uh, that was a legendary uh, Rutgers team that uh, had four future NBA players in that starting five. Yes, it was, and we'll get to Rutgers in a minute, Andy, but I do want to go back to Bibby for one minute because how fascinating is it that his father played on the 72-73 Knicks team and was a great athlete, and Bibby, the son, Mike Bibby, ended his career in 2011-2012 as a New York Knick and played for the New York Knickerbockers. It is cool, you know, they're... There have been father and son combinations in baseball. Uh, come, first one that comes to mind is the Griffies. <laughs> you know, uh, Ken Griffey was uh, was a very good player of the Cincinnati Reds in his own right, but then his son Ken Griffey Jr. was a megastar. But uh, and, and there have been others, fathers and sons. Uh, there's the Boone family where you had Ray Boone and Bob Boone, and and then. Uh, Bob Boone was Ray Boone's son, and then Ray Boone's uh, son, Aaron, you know, the Yankees manager, and uh, Brett Boone. You had three generations of Boones in the major leagues. Father, 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 and son. It, it was, uh, it, it's funny, it, it's genes, yeah, to a large degree, but also when you grow up, 
listen, if you're really paying attention and you're listening to what your dad tells you and learning from what you see your dad doing, uh, you know, that, that, that gives a kid a heck of a head start on getting into the big leagues. That's yeah, the and then you end up becoming a stud athlete and potentially better than what your father was when he took to the diamond or the hardwood or the field every day when he had a job to do. So the father-son combination is definitely one to watch out for and look forward to yeah. when you You're get that hurting. opportunity. Yeah, you're inheriting good genes, yes. but also if you're smart and you pay attention and you learn from your father and you know your father's friends who all you know, you have so much so much more information available to you than uh, some kid who grows up in a family where nobody did anything in athletics before, you know. And speaking of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, they played a tough game against Tom Izzo and the Michigan State Spartans last night as they lost 70-57, to but Rutgers is ranked 23rd in the nation, Andy, and they are playing tough for their head coach, Steve Peichel. And this is the time now where you start to hone in on college basketball because we are getting ever closer to the big, big NCAA March Madness tournament, and we're getting even closer to the conference tournaments, and every year, the Michigan State Spartans, with a Hall of Fame head coach and Tom Izzo, seems to find their way into the NCAA tournament, and they had a big win to go to 13-6 and last night, beating Rutgers 70-57 to as... Kohler had 12 points and 11 rebounds for the Spartans, and McConnell had 11 points for the Scarlet Knights, as those were your two top performers. And then you have teams like the Syracuse Orange Men, who continue to play great basketball year in and year out. The Duke Blue Devils, one year gone for Mike Krzyzewski, and Duke hasn't found one weakness with their team, Andy, as John Shire is doing a great job with that program and he has Duke revved up to make a deep run into tournament play this year. Yeah, Rutgers uh, shocked the world to start this uh, year out. Uh, New Year's Day, uh, they they beat uh, Purdue. Purdue was ranked number one in the country, and Purdue still does appear to be the strongest team in the uh, Big Ten, although these other teams are going to give them a challenge. But uh, I think Purdue is still leading the Big Ten standings by two or more games. But that was just uh, one of the biggest uh, Rutgers wins in recent years. And, uh, you know, Rutgers has given these Big Ten teams a run for their money, all right. And uh, the Rutgers Athletic Center has just been a, a real hot spot. They've been, they've been really great at home. Uh, There's something to watch in their home games. Yeah, I and... think I get the Big Ten network, I get to watch these games. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, these days we're lucky to have all these channels because the more and more you follow sports, the less uh, sports service channels you get. I mean, I have Verizon Files and they're dropping more and more channels every day, whether you're losing FS1 or FS2 or the ACC network, no matter what it is, I'm always losing a network where I want to go and hone in on the team and watch the sport. And it's just crazy. Now I know why more and more people are going to streaming services to get their daily uh, sports fix. Well, down here in South Jersey, uh, Comcast is big down here, and I'm happy with it. I mean, I have NBC Sports Philadelphia, so I get all my Philly games. 
but also I get the uh, Big Ten Network and uh, and I get CBS uh, Sports Network, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU. <laughs> I'm happy to get the college sports. And uh, CBS Sports Network does a heck of a job with college sports. They even, they even cover games from the not-so-major conferences. You know, it isn't just that they're stuck on the top 20 in the uh, big conferences. You, you see what's uh, coming up with some of these mid-major teams, too. You get to see a lot of those kinds of games on CBS Sports Network. I'm happy for now that uh, we have what we have down here. It's been a tough year, too, Andy, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish basketball program head coach Mike Bray. After 22 years and 22 seasons at the school, will hang his hat up and end his reign as head coach for the Fighting Irish. They're off to a sluggish start this season. They're 9-10. and 10. They haven't played competitive. They're 1-7 and seven in their conference. So the Notre Dame Fighting Irish may find it tough to get into the NCAA tournament but they've had a good head coach in Mike Bray who's put the team on the map and has made them competitive in the Atlantic Coast Conference year in and year out. Well, the Atlantic Coast Conference has been pretty interesting. It's pretty competitive. I mean, uh, who would you describe as the uh, dominant team there right now? You have the Clemson Tigers, who are seven and one in the conference. They're fifteen and four overall. Jim Laranega with the Miami Hurricanes and that scrappy team that he has. They're six and two in the conference, and they're fifteen and three. The Panthers are thirteen and six. The Virginia Cavaliers are fourteen and three. So every single team in that conference is playing great basketball and seems to have a winning record outside of Notre Dame, Georgia Tech and Louisville. Well, North Carolina plays NC State tomorrow. That'll be fun. And then they have uh, Syracuse uh, on the 24th, uh, North Carolina and Syracuse. So those are a couple of big games coming up there. Yes, there Carolina, are. Based on what they did last year and the run they made last year and all the players they have back, um, you know, Carolina, I guess, would still be the team to beat, although they haven't wowed me in some of the games I've seen them. But, uh, uh, you know, yeah, let, let's hope Syracuse and Pitt and uh, NC State and some of these teams really uh, give them a battle. Virginia has had good tournament success in recent years, so we can look for something big out of them too. But it, it, it appears to be a very balanced and competitive conference. Yes, and then you have the tough Big East, which is hard to dissect year in and year out. And the Seton Hall Pirates under first-year head coach Shaheen Holloway are 12-8. and eight. They've played some exciting basketball. They're 5-4 and four in the conference. And then you have the UConn Huskies, who are struggling at 4-5 and five in the conference. Yeah, but they, they got an overall on great guns. Yeah, they, yeah, they've slumped recently. Yeah, and then Villanova has struggled this year. Tough to follow what Jay Wright did over there, but they've uh, they, they've been a little below par. But speaking of Jay Wright, Andy, don't you believe that if he was on the sideline, it would be a different outcome for this team right now with all the oh sure they miss him yeah, coaching they, uh, leadership he brought to that team and the recruitment he did for that program. He should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, he he won multiple national titles and went to the Final Four. And then you have the St. John's Red Storm hanging in there. They're not great in conference play at 3-6, and six, but they are 
13 and 7 overall thus far, and they can try and battle their way through the Big East tournament with the hopes of getting a bid into the NCAA tournament as they're playing good basketball of late. And Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas, Andy, have left a lot to be desired this yeah. season. 5 and 14 record, and they're 0 and 8 in the Big East conference this year. Well, Seton Hall lost the coach to, to Maryland. Uh, you know the guy, who Kevin Willard. Off, yeah, Kevin Willard for seven years though, and uh, and Maryland again. Uh, they played a tough schedule, and uh, but they're a team with Willard over there that I would expect is going to keep improving, getting the getting the fundamentals down, getting things worked out, and they could be dangerous in the uh, postseason. Uh, I mean, they're, they're twelve they're and six overall. They're three and four in the conference. Yeah, and they're terrific at home. But uh, with with the kind of coaching that they're getting there, uh, you know, you could look for this team to have to be riding a crest when they get into the conference tournament and uh, the postseason. Uh, they could be dangerous just because of who they've got over there building a program there. They started off this season 8-0, and Andy. Their yeah. first loss came to Wisconsin, 64-59 at Wisconsin. And then they lost two more to Tennessee and UCLA. And then they beat St. Yeah. Peter's. And they've been on again, off again since then. So... And Big Ten play is tough. Uh, it is, but, uh, but they've, uh, yeah, their their first eight, you know, uh, starting out, uh, you know, they didn't really play any really super challenging teams there. But uh, you know, especially in college basketball, March Madness, it's not so much how you start, it's how you finish. Yes. <laughs> And, and we uh, know the tournament every year, it's about that big upset, it's about that mid-major going in there, the 12 beating the 5, the 13 beating the 4, the 15 beating the 2, and that's what makes the tournament so entertaining and fun to watch year in and year out, and it's why it's the best tournament, because of the upset special, and it's proven time and time again, year in and year out, in the college basketball postseason. And in college sports in general, you know, they have this transfer portal now, and you see a lot more transferring going on. And it seems like a lot of players are finding the right spot for them after they, you know, they commit for some place for four years, but it's not working out too well. And uh, they've, and another coach somewhere else says, we can use that guy. He's just what we need. And it seems like uh, there's more parity in college basketball because players are ending up in the right places. And I think for the mid-major teams, uh, this transfer portal has been working out real well. And also teams are getting more community college transfers. And uh, it seems like teams have a lot of ways to improve themselves uh, rather than just give up and say, well, our recruiting class just didn't do it, you know, and, teams are able to uh, fine-tune themselves a lot better, and you see a lot of these mid-major teams are more competitive as a result. And another team that I've really been intrigued with this year, Andy, and I don't know what it is, but I got latched onto them a few years ago in the tournament, and that is the Iowa Hawkeyes. They got a great head coach in Fran McCaffrey, yes. but they're a young, scrappy team, and they thrive on the three-point shot. And when they play, the physicality of this team is just fantastic to watch day in and day out because they're fast they crash the boards they're tough they're physical and they shoot a ton of three-point shots from beyond the arc 
Wisconsin's another high-energy team in the uh, Big Ten that's fun to watch. Uh, Ohio State's been disappointing. They, they've, uh, they've struggled, but it could be just a result of the teams they've been playing playing well, maybe more so than anything bad on Ohio State's part. Uh, that Big Ten is a terrific conference to watch, and Penn State. It's more than held its own, too. <laughs> and the Wisconsin Badgers are 12-5, and five, so my niece Olivia, when she goes back to school, will have some basketball to pay attention to at the University of Wisconsin as we hope they have a better season than the football program did as they find themselves trying to play tough and get into the March Madness tournament. And a good sign for that Maryland team. They beat, now granted, it was at home, but they beat Michigan. And the, it was the second time they played Michigan. They beat Michigan. They played Michigan on the road and got killed. They just weren't in the game at Michigan. But then uh, last night, uh, they beat Michigan. So, uh, you know, it's tough to sweep each other in that Big Ten. Uh, these, these teams, uh, when they lose a game, they learn for it. And they're gunning for you next yeah. time. Another local, Andy, are the Penn State Nittany Lions. They're 12-6. They so we have a lot of college basketball now to pay attention to, Andy, as we broadcast this show week in and week out because these next few months are going to be pivotal months for a lot of these teams looking to get bids into the NCAA tournament, and we'll have a lot to banty about yeah. regarding the sport over the yeah, next several Big weeks. 12, the, I haven't watched too much of these teams, but the Big 12 has a lot of highly ranked teams. You know, if you're looking at the top 20, you see a lot of Big Ten teams, I mean Big 12 teams there. And, of course, Kansas, you know, that's no big surprise. But a lot of these teams that have just been mainly known as football schools have really improved themselves in basketball. I don't know if you can believe all these ratings the way they are right now, but if you look at the top 20, Kansas State Wildcats 16 and 2, the Jayhawks 16 and 2, the Iowa State Cyclones 14 and 3, the Longhorns are 15 and 3, the TCU Horned Frogs. We just got done with them them, in football. Now we're seeing them at 14 and 4 in basketball. I wonder if they just uh, played weak non conference schedules or what, but uh, you know, you've got an bunch of outstanding teams at one conference there. They're going to be uh, highly seeded. Well, another uh, team, too, with a Hall of Fame head coach, the West Virginia Mountaineers and Bob Huggins. They're 11-7. Yeah. and seven. Every single team in the Big 12 Conference, Andy, is playing above 500 basketball. And West Virginia with Huggins, uh, they've had uh, a, every year they have a pressing team that, that is really tough to play. You know, their pressure defense, and uh, they get guys off the bench who keep up the same pressure when they take starters out. And uh, they wear teams down. You know, Huggins has been outstanding over there. Uh, and that uh, Pac-12, I guess, right now, looks like UCLA and Arizona are the best teams over there. But uh, Huggins has been outstanding, Andy, but he needs to start making deeper runs in big tournament games. Every year, yeah. his teams play well, they have a good season, and then they get into the tournament, and they fall flat on their 
face, and they need to really make a deep run into the tournament if they want to put themselves back on the map in this college you basketball landscape. All, you wonder if pressing all the time takes a toll after a while. It could, and Huggins loves to press. And, you know, listen, the Michigan State Spartans, Tom Izzo, they play gritty every year. You know they're going to find a way into the tournament. And by the way, Andy, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, boy, they can't get their football program right and their basketball program has fallen flat too. Boy, do they miss the Tubby Smith error over mm-hmm. there as they are 7-10 and 10 this season. Yeah, well, that's just in, in a tough league. If you're not at your best, you know, you're going you're gonna to pay. Very competitive league. And I'm just trying to see quickly where we stand with the Pac-12. Yes, UCLA yeah, Bruins 17-2. and two. Arizona, they've picked up a few losses, but whenever I've watched Arizona, I've been very impressed with them. You have Arizona State at 15-4. and four. You have Arizona at 16-3. and three. And when you think of Arizona basketball, you think of Lute Olsen and all the success yep. he had as head coach back in the day with that program. They've got a coach there now who's recruited some good international players. Uh, these guys have come to Arizona from all over the world. Uh, they're a pretty entertaining team to watch. Yeah, they had Miller there for a while, too, but he's no longer the head coach there. Right. His brother, it was Archie Miller was the brother, and he was coaching Dayton at the time. Sean Miller, I think it was, who coached Arizona. I watched Dayton the other day on TV. Uh, That's a good team in the Atlantic 10 there, and, and VCU's doing real well in the Atlantic 10. And by the way, the Tennessee Volunteers, 15-3, third in the SEC. They're ninth in the country right now under Rick yeah. Barnes. Yeah, the SEC, uh, you always think uh, Kentucky when you look at the SEC, but it's a lot more than Kentucky these days. Yeah, it's been a rough year for John Calipari, hasn't it, Andy? Yeah. Uh, you know, he used to get these one-and-done players who just play a year and then they go on to the NBA, but that, that hasn't worked out that way for him the last few years no and he has seemed to succeed with the freshman players too a lot of his teams have been a lot of freshman players yeah, freshman on the roster play a year of college and make a name and then go to the nba and calipari figured well i can win with these guys because look at all the talent i'm going to have but uh there's something to be said too for good seniors who can lead a team and uh have a team playing together i don't know if he can do it every year with five talented freshmen so you're listening to the Sports Buzz with Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto. The Knicks lose to the Hawks 139 to 124 as they lose a tough one in Atlanta. Oh, boy. It looked like a three-point barrage for the Hawks from behind yeah. the arc tonight. You know, Andy, as fun as... The three-point shot is to watch it go in. It really takes away from the fundamentals of the sport. It makes it so unwatchable, the NBA, because it's just a ton of three-point shots. I've watched, uh, you know, I've done a lot of, uh, I've made my living doing local sports. uh, And I've watched a lot of high school basketball. And it's awful with these teams just shooting three-point shots all the time. and. 
and even coaches, you know, say we're a three-point shooting team. And I'm thinking, really? How many high school kids are consistent with a three-point shot? And a lot of I times mean, the ball and, and don't it's, even it's come like close to the rim. The ball over. You're shooting threes and missing, and you're not getting offensive rebounds. It's like you're coming down and turning the ball over. I mean, it's crazy. I've seen some ugly high school basketball with these kids who got star they're in love with a three-point shot and they don't have coaches who can tell them kid you know you can't really shoot that shot very well how about we run some plays and score some backdoor layups you know andy sometimes you probably wish you were back on the sidelines again <laughs> yeah right well, that's funny when i played high school basketball we didn't even have a three it was the, the object of the game was to work the ball inside and get the highest percentage shot you could every time down floor because whether you made it from 30 feet or under the basket, it counted two each time. And if you made a basket underneath and somebody fouled you, that's how you got your three-point play. The yeah. layup and the and one, you know, that, that was a three-pointer in those days. Second quarter, Brooklyn leads Utah 36-34 as they continue their road trip in the NBA. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we will touch up on a big trade that occurred today in baseball. We will give our divisional round NFL picks and we will put a bow on this edition of the Sports Buzz as it's Friday, January 20th, as we come to you live on Clubhouse and we make this very broadcast available for podcast playback through Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you go for your daily episodes. We'll step aside for a timeout. We'll come back on the other side with much more sports talk right after this. While serving in Iraq, an IED took both my legs, but it didn't take my spirit. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Greg Gatson, Army veteran. DAV helps veterans and their families get the benefits they've earned. Today, I'm an entrepreneur, photographer, and public speaker. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. My victory is just being the best that I can be. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at OIG. .ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu coming to you live 
from the great state of New Jersey as we come to you weekly to chat with you about what's happening in the world of sports. And before you know it, Andy, just a little bit over a month away and baseball will become front and center as pitchers and catchers towards the end of February will report to their respective spring training complexes and get ready for the 2023 baseball season as the Mets try to stave off an early exit from a wild card round and try to finally get to a World Series as the Yankees hope that Aaron Judge can have that magic spark to get them into a World Series and many teams start to go out there and contend and try to put themselves on the map and one team who continues to rebuild and continues to play tough year in and year out. They did lose manager Don Mattingly as he goes and becomes a third base coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. But the Miami Marlins acquired reigning American League batting champion and all-star Luis Arise from the Twins for Pablo Lopez and a pair of prospects. So the rebuild continuing for the Miami Marlins as they look to contend in a tough NL East division for 2023. Well, the Marlins, have a good pitching staff. I mean, they have the Cy Young winner, and they've had they've had a good rotation there, and uh, they've held teams uh, to low scores, but they just haven't hit very much. So I guess they're trying to just get some more offense to go with that pitching that they already have. And that's where the success has been on the mound. The bats have been the quiet part of their offense, and they need to spark the offense to try and get some key wins in the NL East but they pick up a great player there he's going to be a good addition for this team and general manager Kim Nang announced that Marlins all-star second baseman Chaz Chisholm would be moving from infield to play center field now with the addition of Luis Arias that'll be interesting to see how what they cook up that National League East has been tough division. You know, we had three National League East teams in the playoffs last year. And so it's pretty tough for the Marlins in that group. But we'll uh, see how they do. Yes, we will. And before you know it, Andy, we'll be watching spring training baseball in sunny Florida and cloudy Arizona. And we'll be just eager for the new season to begin. And the fascinating thing with this baseball season is every team plays every other team in the sport now yeah the scheduling is totally different now yeah and that's going to make it more compelling because you like the Mets don't have to play the Braves 18 times they play them 12 but they'll see the AL Central the AL West and the AL East all at the same time in one season compared to years past yeah they won't see teams like the Dodgers and uh the teams in the other divisions of the National League, they won't see them as much as they did before. One problem I see is when you have uh, these interleague games, of uh, which there are going to be so many, and you only see uh, an American League team once, and that's it for the season. When they have to make up rainouts, uh, that's going to get pretty dicey. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that works out as far as uh, rescheduling rainouts. Yeah, they're going to have to come up with a mechanism to get those games in, but you're right. It definitely hampers the decision-making for 
makeups and even double headers at times too because if if you're a Yankee team and you're going to Minnesota and you're only playing a three game series but one of the games is rained out and then another game is rained out you can't play a triple header in one day you could play a double header but where are you going to make up that third game that you lost you know when you're playing fewer games in your own league and now, I know it's great for the fans to, to see everybody in the other league, but uh, you're seeing these teams only one time, and uh, there's only so many mutual off days that you can uh, schedule a game. Of course, you know, a lot of games end up not being played anyway because the team was in contention and the game turned out to be not important, so they don't bother making it up. But when you got this many playoff teams and uh, this many playoff spots, there's going to be games that have to be played during a regular season. You know what I'm saying? I mean, with more playoff teams comes more games that impact the playoffs and the standings and seedings and everything. And you got to get in these games. Absolutely, Andy. And I'm sure you're eager, too, to see how the Phillies bounce back coming off of that tough frustrating World Series loss to the Houston Astros and will they be just as good if not better in the coming season but that's for weeks and months ahead when we start to really hone in on the sport of baseball but it was good to see the Marlins add another key player today as they will look to contend in the NL East and try and find their winning ways and try to hope that they can battle test the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies to contend in that division. And I'm sure that most teams that get to the World Series you know, feel confident that they can get back there the following season. When the rubber meets the road, you don't see that many repeats in the World Series. Very rarely they have two teams play each other two years in a row in the World Series, like, for instance, or... Uh, it's tough to get back there uh, when you've been there. Uh, you know, just repeating is with that long season and uh, additional playoffs they have now, it's tough to repeat. It is, Andy. And breaking news just coming down the pike, too. The uh, University of Michigan has announced that it has fired co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss of the football team due to a crimes investigation. In a statement, athletic director Ward Manuel said the termination came after a a review of university policies. The school would not comment any further. Weiss's firing is expected to be for cause, and there's a clause in his contract that includes for cause firings for both conviction of a felony along with a conduct clause for morality. Oh, by the way, you know, talking about coaching changes, there's a pretty irrational one. You're getting back to the NFL just because this is a coaching change. You know, that Rams-Jacksonville game, I mean the Chargers-Jacksonville game where the the Chargers blew that big lead. The uh, Chargers, uh, did you recall hearing this? The Chargers fired their offensive coordinator, rather than when you would think it would be the defensive coordinator who let them fall behind the way they did. 
You know, the Spanos family, Andy, is very hard to figure out. And I know that Sean Payton was a big name traveling through the newswire there for a few days as possibly being the next head coach to get Josh Herbert over the hump and finally a Super Bowl contender. You know, the Spanoses aren't going to spend a ton of money on a big-name head coach, and they're not going to want a head coach to come in and have all the say. But really, when you look at the L.A. Chargers, who have a hard enough time selling tickets, who practically don't have a fan base out at all there in Los Angeles, and when you see the moves that this team has made and you see the decisions that they have made, it's really head-scratching. And for Brandon Staley to board a plane after that game in Jacksonville and that pathetic letdown in the second half was mind-boggling to say the least because year in and year out when there is a game on the line, For this team and this franchise, they find a way to lose the football game. And it's time that the ownership wakes up. It's time that the Spanos family turns around and said, enough is enough of this mediocrity. We want to start going out there and we want to be a legit football team. When you have guys throwing their helmets on the football field the way Bosa was out of frustration, you sit there and say to yourself, there is something wrong with this team. I get that he's only two years in Brandon Staley as head coach, but he hasn't gotten the job done, Andy, and he hasn't been the right quarterback's coach to groom Herbert to be a big-time quarterback in this league, and Herbert has that ability. Yeah, the Chargers fired offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterbacks coach Shane Day. While it looks like they didn't touch uh, the defensive coaches who uh, had everything to do with them, uh, you know, blowing that lead. <laughs> I mean, the offense did what you're supposed to do. They got the lead. Then the defense was supposed to hold it. Uh, you know what that reminds me of? I remember one time on Navy, just a while ago, Navy lost to somebody 56-3. to And uh, the next day they announced that they were firing their offensive coach. You know, what kind of logic was there in there? But you're right. You fire the offensive coordinator when the defense... the lead, and then the defense <laughs> that blew that lead, uh, those, those coaches go unscathed. Isn't it hard to sit back and fathom, Andy, what ineptitude really does to a franchise? Because if you're owners and you're a billionaire and you have a ton of money into this team and you view this team as a business and you're trying to lure fans to the stadium week in and week out in a city where it's hard to even have a fan base back you weekly and root for your team you would think that they would start making decisions that would want to make the fans flock back to the football stadium to watch the team and you know you would think the owners would discuss things more with the head coach uh one of these espn shows you know a lot of the time was spent on the espn shows talking about the lamar jackson situation is he going to come back to the ravens or not and uh Somebody mentioned that John Harbaugh's role in all this, and uh, one of the guys said, I know John Harbaugh, and and if it was up to him, they would have worked out this contract with Lamar a long time ago. He said, but 
he has no power in this. And can you imagine your head coach, especially somebody who's been there as long as Harbaugh has been, and nobody wants to listen to him when it comes to making a decision on your franchise player? But then they go and fire the offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, this week, and Harbaugh sits there and tells you we have to work it out where we have to bring a big offensive coach in to fine-tune the quarterback, yet you don't know if Lamar Jackson is returning next year. It's not the offensive coordinator's fault if somebody gets injured like that. They still were competitive in the game. Absolutely, the and they had it. They, they gave Cincinnati a tough game in the playoffs. They did, so and they had up. a shot to win the game. If that yeah. fourth and one at the goal line goes in, the Ravens win the game. If that fumble doesn't happen, Andy, the Ravens win the football yeah. game. Instead, yeah, they, the Bengals just, bring it back for a touchdown, and they're right. lights out. Oh, that, that was such a freaky play at that goal line there. <laughs> And then that 98-yard run by it, that's every lineman's dream. He needed oxygen after that run. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the Ravens, uh, they're resourceful. They did the best they could with what they had, you know. And, and listen, the one thing that I get frustrated with year in and year out being a sports junkie is some of the decisions that are made by these higher executives or these general managers of these teams. And I understand the Jet fan is desperate, and I understand the offense was inept and the quarterback controversy all year and Salah really not being a great communicator with the quarterback as a head coach. I get they had to get rid of LaFleur, but can we just get off the... Aaron Rodgers bandwagon a little bit. The idea that Aaron Rodgers is going to come to a team and make a huge impact on a team is mind-boggling. The guy hasn't won a huge game in the last several years. The Packers didn't show up when they needed to in the worst way to beat the Detroit Lions and get into the postseason in Week 18. They fell short in the divisional round a year prior to the San Francisco 49ers, but all of a sudden, everybody's jumping on Aaron Rodgers? I get he won a Super Bowl. I get in his head day he was an elite years ago he won a super bowl yeah i mean come on can we get off the brady and rogers bandwagon a little bit (laughs) yeah i mean rogers has been exciting and green bay's played a lot of playoff games over the years but yeah he's just won that one super bowl and listen a lot of you new york people who want the big time quarterback in this city they're not going to come to this city they don't want to deal with the pressure they don't want to deal with the avid fan base and they don't want to deal with the media frenzy week in and week out and i get that a lot of jet fans would love to see green and white on Aaron Rodgers, but the big-name quarterback who's proven that he could win, who's got a championship under his belt, who's got a Lombardi trophy or has some playoff pedigree is not going to come play in New York right now with the media circus that this city is week in and week out and the pressure-orientated state. They're at the end of their careers. They want to go to a locale city. They want to suit up. They want to play football, and they want to go home and rest and relax and enjoy their family or do something fun. They don't want to have to worry about being booed out of the stadium every other week. Well, the Jets had Brett Favre. How did that work out? Absolutely. And I remember back in the day when we used to be on FM radio and we yeah, went... we talked about we, him on the sports buzz a lot. <laughs> we did. And we were against Brett Favre going to the Jets and we ended up being right, Andy. He did yeah. not work out for the team. 
It was just a big circus. But the idea that Aaron Rodgers is going to come and resurrect the New York Jets is a little tough to stomach. Let Aaron sit back. Let him figure out what he's going to do. And let's see where these big-name quarterbacks end up. I do believe Brady will come back. Rodgers, I think, is iffy. And if Rodgers goes anywhere... I think if Brady doesn't go to Vegas, Rodgers will. They're going to go to a team that's got low media presence where they can go and they have playmakers there that can help them win now and get a Super Bowl. And I know the Jets are up and coming and I know their defense is fantastic and I know they have some pieces there and I know the owner went out and said he wants a big-time quarterback, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the answer. Do you agree, Andy? Yeah, I think maybe the Jets could draft. A, well, they've. It's funny when you go quarterback searching and you use high draft picks every year on quarterbacks. Cleveland did that for a while, and that never really worked out. No, I, I think yeah. a guy like Derek Carr would be good for them. Garoppolo would be great for them. Yeah. Some guys like that. Those type of quarterbacks would be good for this team. And Derek Carr has proven he could win. He's got postseason playoff experience. He played under Gruden. Not that that means too much these days, playing under John Gruden, but he did play under Gruden. So he does have the tendencies to win now, and Carr could be just the right guy at the right time to come to the Jets and resurrect this offense and get them back to some sort of winning contention in the AFC. You know, there's one guy who uh, might be a little bit off the radar, but uh, Penn State a few years ago had Trace McSorley. He was an outstanding college quarterback, and uh, he he was a real good backup quarterback in the NFL, too. He hasn't had an opportunity to be a starter. He's with the Cardinals, right, Andy? Yeah, he's with the Cardinals. And uh, he owns all the Penn State passing records. You know, uh, and in the preseason, the guys had some preseason games where you have a backup quarterback play almost the whole game. You know, somebody joked once that he's like a Hall of Famer or a preseason player. <laughs> he might be worth a look for the Jets. I mean, the guy can play. He just needs an opportunity, you know, so it could be somebody like him, you know. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the Jets do in this offseason because I'm sure, Andy, there is angst right now in Florham Park with the New York football giants garnering all the attention with the success that first-year head coach Brian Dable has had, and the Jets once again are on the outside looking in, and I'm sure deep down it's killing Woody Johnson to see the success that the New York football giants are having right now. And his team is just in their off season already. Yeah. It wasn't that bad a team. It just didn't have a quarterback. No. And when you have quarterback controversy week in and week out, you're not going to win. It's not winning success. There's no winning formula there. You need a quarterback. You need structure. You need an offense that knows that they're going to have the same leader week in and week out leading them on the football field. There was so much back and forth between Mike White and Wilson and Flacco this season that you didn't know any game which way it was going to turn out. And that final game against the Miami Dolphins, they were downright pathetic in Week 18. They were better off not even putting the U uniforms on or showing up to play the game. Flacco was there just like his insurance in case you had a quarterback get injured. Uh, You know, they never really looked to him to lead the team. He was just the guy who uh, 
you know, just a backup plan who would be at least experienced enough that he could manage the game properly. <laughs> but I, I don't know if they ever looked at him as a savior. He was just a backup, and that was the understanding from the get-go. With that said, Andy, let's focus on winning football. Let's focus on the postseason and the divisional round as we get closer to wrapping up our pick segment on a week-in, week-out basis. So this week, we're each going to pick an AFC team. We're each going to pick an NFC team. And for once, Andy, I'm actually going to let you start off the picks this week. All right. How about that? So let me begin the music. All right, well, given the uh, shot at picking first, I'll take the game that I feel the most certain about, and that will be Kansas City over uh, Jacksonville, just based on Kansas City's big game experience, uh, the overall quality of that team, and they do have a magician at quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, and he's surrounded by a lot of talent, one of the best tight ends in the game. Uh, Jacksonville was a great story last week with their big comeback, and Trevor Lawrence has a great future as a generational NFL quarterback, but uh, not yet. It's uh, Kansas City. I would take uh, the Chiefs. Uh, how about 30-21? to 21. And then uh, my second game, my NFC game, uh, I'll have to stick with my Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Lower scoring game than most people may expect, and uh, the Giants will compete and they'll be tough. But uh, I think the Eagles just have more good football players than the Giants do, and uh, the Eagles have had uh, a lot of success this year too. And they've, uh, uh, I think the Eagles will hold up. I'll take uh, the Eagles 20 to 17. So there's my two picks. I've got Kansas City over Jacksonville, 30-21, and Philly over the Giants, 20-17. So Andy's going with the Saturday special for his divisional round picks as he's giving you two Saturday games in the league where they play for pay. So that means I will have to go to the Sunday matchups. And the first one is the Buffalo Bills playing host to the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is a great matchup. These two teams are evenly matched. But I saw some problematic issues with the Bills last week that would really worry me coming into this football game. The turnovers hurt them big time. Josh Allen did not seem like he was the great offensive catalyst that you would need him to be from a leadership perspective. The ground game was nowhere to be found with Singletary. Diggs didn't make a ton of big plays like you would need him to on the receiving core. And I just think right now, the Bengals have a lot going for them. They have a ton of offensive weapons. They got a quarterback with a great personality and a been-there-done-that attitude. And I know it's Orchard Park. I know it's a very tough setting. I know the whole DeMar Hamlin situation is key with playing to win for DeMar, and I know number three will be front and center at this game, but something's telling me that the Bengals are just going to go out here and win. I've liked what I've seen from them. They had a shot to beat the Bills in that game in Week 17. You felt that the game was going to be theirs, and I just think they caught fire at the right time. I think Barrow's going to find some key receivers with... 
Jamar Chase, and he's going to do what he has to do. And I think when all is said and done, the Bengals are going to eke out a win in Buffalo, and the offense is going to do what they need to do to get them to the AFC Championship round. I like the Bengals winning this game 34-24, a 10-point game over the Buffalo Bills in game number one. And game number two... This is a fascinating matchup. And Dallas looked so good last week that you really want to hope that they can go in here and play a tough competitive game against the San Francisco 49ers team that has a fantastic roster that is well coached and a team that is just destined to get back to a Super Bowl. And when you look at this game, Andy... I'm an NFC lover because of the New York Giants. I don't like the Dallas Cowboys per se, but I like the fact that they have some big-time players who are stepping up right now and making a big impact when it matters the most. And for some reason, I think Dallas is going to find a way to win this football game. I don't think it's going to be on the leg of Mahar, and the hope is that he can go out there and have a clean game kicking. But I just think that Prescott is going to be able to make a big play late, and the defense is going to be able to get a turnover and rattle Brock Purdy late in this game and be able to change the momentum and get a force play in their direction to try and find a way to win this game. It's going to be close 23-17, a six-point victory for the Dallas Cowboys in game number two of the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. So, Bengals over the Bills and Cowboys over the 49ers for my two picks in the league where they play for pay. All right, yeah, going with the experienced quarterback. <laughs> I am, Andy. I could have gone either way with both of these games. I think the Bills and Bengals are evenly matched, and I think the 49ers and Cowboys are evenly matched. And as much as I want to be on the 49er bandwagon, I just think we're going to get to a point where Brock Purdy's going to have a hiccup and it's going to come back and bite them. And I think it could be against a very tough, vulnerable Dallas defense that is clicking on all cylinders. And the fact that Micah Parsons has been such a catalyst for this defense the last few weeks and has really put the team on his shoulders from a defensive perspective, I would be worried if I'm that offensive line of the San Francisco 49ers and if I'm Brock Purdy as a rookie quarterback in a win-or-go-home situation. Yep, we'll see how it all plays out. We will, Andy. And with that said, do you have any final thoughts on this evening's broadcast? There's a final thought on our, uh, of course, the the big spotlight is the big games, uh, the games that have the most meaning, uh, you know, end of the season for the losers. John Madden used to always uh, say when he uh, broadcast a playoff game and, uh, as the outcome would become apparent in the last minute or two, and they'd have sideline shots of the uh, losing uh, players and the losing sideline, and Matt would always say, you know, it suddenly hits you, the finality, that this is the end of the line here. And, you know, Madden uh, had a good way of uh, 
describing that emotion that uh, the players, that when they suddenly really realized, you know, this is it. It came down to this, and uh, uh, you know that that's uh, that's emotion, and that's a big reason why the NFL is so popular because you have these these games with uh, so much riding on them. And sorry to say, a lot of betting goes on these games, too. Yes, they do. But, Andy, if you're sitting back this weekend and you're looking at all of these games and the eight teams that are playing in these games, if there was one surprise upset special that you would look to go after this weekend, which upset special would that be and what team would that be? Well, if... I think, In your uh, the opinion, the biggest shocker uh, of all the potential outcomes here, the biggest shocker would be if Jacksonville beats Kansas City. That would surprise me because, uh, you know, I think Kansas City's just uh, got too much good going for them to lose to Jacksonville in spite of Doug Peterson and all the good things that they've been doing to get to where they are. Jacksonville's the type of team that even if they lose to Kansas City, they can come into next season with a bright outlook and say, "Hey, we're an up-and-coming team, and we're you know we're we're getting better every year, and we're going to go one step further this time." And uh, you know, I think Jacksonville, uh, while they I would say they're the biggest underdog of the four underdogs in these games, you know, it, yeah, it would shock me. Uh, get back to your question. Uh, that would be the one result that would really surprise me. Say, how did Jacksonville ever beat Kansas City? That would be a real head scratcher for me. But on the other side of the spectrum, when you look at Doug Peterson and you look at the run he had with the Eagles and you look at the way he's fine-tuned Trevor Lawrence to be a big-time quarterback this season and the come-from-behind victory against the Chargers, you would have to wonder if that momentum grabber with that victory could definitely be a positive vibe for them going into this game where if they get off to a fast start, could they just pull off that upset special and beat Andy Reid? And the fact that the Andy Reid coaching tree with Doug Peterson on the other sideline is going to be so significant in this game, I think if Jacksonville found a way to win this game, Andy, you would have to look at them as really a big-time team to vie for Super Bowl positioning. Well, yeah, I remember Doug Peterson with Eagles. Uh, people were picking against the Eagles uh when they played the Falcons in the playoffs and they played the Vikings in the playoffs. And then in the Super Bowl, they were up against uh, Brady and Belichick. So, uh, you know, how much more of an underdog can you be in a Super Bowl when you're going up against Brady and Belichick with a team that hasn't been in the Super Bowl for over a decade? All kudos to Doug Peterson. But uh, it was interesting. He had uh, Nick Foles there, and Nick Foles was just a backup who got that opportunity in the postseason, but he – uh, again, you know, he's a backup who stayed prepared all year. Yeah, long. and then he gets he into like a, an eleven-game win yeah. streak with Carson Wentz there, and then Wentz went down. And he got into the postseason, and he resurrected the Eagle offense, and all of a sudden, the Eagles with the Philly special end up yeah. becoming Super Bowl champions, and Doug Peterson is held a hero in the city of brotherly love. And then, you know, you have to wonder if maybe that script back then is the same formula that Doug Peterson is using here in Jacksonville to etch that same chapter in this book that he's writing with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. You know what? Uh, looking at that Peterson team that won the Super Bowl, I think that team had more overall 
talent and uh, just better defense better players, a uh, better defense. You just had more going for it than this Jacksonville team has right now. But Jacksonville's working on it. They'll they'll be stronger next year. They'll uh, they'll draft well and they'll uh, they'll coach these guys up. And Jacksonville's going to be very strong for uh, the next several years. But I would just say, as far as their matchup with Kansas City, you know, Kansas City's just got uh, too much to overcome there. I agree with you, Andy. I think it'll be the biggest upset if it happens. And with that said. You've just listened to the Sports Buzz on this Friday, January 20th, the year 2023, as all you sports junkies are eager for the start of the NFL divisional round of this postseason as the New York Giants have a lot to be happy about. And if they fall short against the Eagles, they will hold their head high, leaving the city of brotherly love, knowing that there is a bright future ahead of them with this franchise, with the leadership of Brian Dable and the great quarterback play of Daniel Jones. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys... You were able to climb the hurdle by beating the GOAT Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now your next task is taking on the Niners and looking for a big win. But if you fall short, you at least know that you finally got a postseason win and you came a step closer to the end goal of trying to get to a Super Bowl with the hopes that it happens next year in 2023. And if you're the Bills, you hope that you can try to get yourself back to an AFC championship. And by the way, if for some reason the Bills and Chiefs do win, Andy, that AFC championship game will be played in Atlanta at a neutral site, which is going to be very telling to say the least, as not only do teams have to travel, but the respective fan bases of the Bills and Chiefs will also have to travel, fly, and set themselves up in hotel accommodations for next weekend if they do play one another at that neutral site game in Atlanta. That reminds me of one time uh, going back as far as 1992, uh, you had a uh, Dolphins New Orleans Saints game that uh, the Hurricane Andrew came and uh, they they couldn't play. Um, they they moved the game to Baltimore, and within three hours of them announcing that uh, the game was going to be played in Baltimore, they sold it out. They sold all the tickets out in Baltimore in three hours after they announced that the Miami New Orleans game would be moved to Baltimore. <laughs> So it's funny, uh, sometimes uh, maybe the local fans just hungry for some football are going to, you know, turn out like that. Uh, I think I would if I lived anywhere within, within 50 miles of Atlanta and you get a game like that just dropped in your lap, you know, why not? I just hope they don't charge too much for the tickets, you know, that's one thing. Yeah, back back in 92, I guess, NFL tickets weren't as expensive as they are now. <laughs> and you would have to think that the season ticket holder would get first dibs on those seats along with the players families and coaches families and all of that you would have to think that the season ticket holder would get first dibs on those seats yeah it's funny i remember a funny thing i said when uh, hurricane andrew like just ripped through south florida and just did all kinds of damage and everything and somebody uh, made a comment to me at work uh, i was working at warren county community college at the time 
Somebody says, boy, what did you do out there in uh, South Florida, Andrew? You know, you, you, you're such, so destructive and everything. And I said, well, they named the hurricane after Andrew. You know, it wasn't going to be a wimpy hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> and with that said, we will leave it right there. Thanks to everybody on Clubhouse for tuning in and partaking in this episode of the Sports Buzz, episode number 13 to be exact. And thank you all for spreading the word and listening and doing your due diligence week in and week out to come to thought-provoking, hard-hitting sports talk that you won't find anywhere on the current radio dial or the satellite subscription service that you have to pay for daily to get your content. We don't have to do that. We can go to the World Wide Web and we can bring it to you in great form every week. He was Andy Loigu. I was Kevin Wolf. Enjoy the NFL Divisional Round. Enjoy a big football weekend. And we will be back next Friday night to dissect it all, to analyze it all, and to give our take on what's happening in the world of sports. We will now do what we do every week. We will end this episode with Queen and we are the champions. Folks, adios. We'll be back next week. Same place, same time. Until next time. Queen.